Thank you, worship team. I do invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians. We will be spending uh, our time there together this morning. I didn't realize until I just did that activity that Pastor James probably got a half a dozen texts uh, saying, you know, the picture's coming through, but the sound isn't working this morning. That wasn't why I did that. But I did just take and watch the second hand go around on my clock, uh, my wristwatch, excuse me, or some refer to as a chronometer. I just watched 60 seconds tick by uh, the longest, narrowest hand on my watch. And then the next longest hand, the minute hand, which is a little thicker, click the head one minute. Now, if we would do that 60 consecutive times, we would see the hour hand, the next short hand, thicker hand, move forward one hour uh, on our wrist watches. Now, isn't it absolutely amazing how long one minute of silence seems? It's like, what's going on? But how short one minute is when you're doing something you really enjoy. You know, during Thanksgiving, we had all of our grandchildren home. So I'm going to indulge you here with just a picture that we were able to capture. It, it was everything we could pull off to get this picture. Uh, but this picture we captured there of having them home. And uh, pretty much everybody in our family had had COVID. So we weren't too worried about uh, exposing anybody there. And we weren't too concerned about getting together. And by the way, I, I should tell you too, their parents were also there. Uh, but we were pretty excited to have the grandchildren there. We celebrated Thanksgiving today during that time, of course. We also celebrated two separate birthdays on two different times because you want to make it special for each one. And there were birthdays, two birthdays that had occurred uh, during November. Uh, we also did the Nelson side of, of Christmas because all of our children are going to be with their in-laws over the Christmas uh, uh, holiday this year. So we, we celebrated that together. And then last Sunday, we had our grandson Josiah's uh, child dedication here at church at the 10 o'clock service. Needless to say, Cindy and I uh, had the time of our life last weekend. We're living our dreams. But guess what? Four and a half days goes very fast when you're enjoying every minute of it. You look so forward to this time. It comes and then it's gone. It's like it, it was just poof. It's gone that fast. Did you know that there are only 19 days until Christmas? This means that we have a little over 440 hours until we celebrate Christmas. This equates to just short of 270,000 minutes or a little over 16 million seconds left to get everything done before Christmas arrives. Now, in the early weeks of our Advent season, it's so significant for us to understand the importance of time, which we often refer to by its strategic nature as timing. 
and a timing affects everything that exists. No one in this region where we live in plants their garden in November. No one paints their house in January. Although in the early years when Pastor James was here, I did have to stop him from painting his house in January. Just kidding. Just checking if you're paying attention and listening here this morning. No, nobody does that. You don't paint your house in January around here. People up here also don't go swimming in the lakes in February, though some of my Finnish family and Finnish friends have been known to cut a hole in the ice in the lake and jump in in the middle of the winter after a hot sauna. But people don't do these kinds of activities in the winter around here because it's not the right time for them. If the timing is off on your uh, combustible engine, for instance, your car motor, it won't run. If it isn't firing at top dead center, it, you can crank that thing over all you want. It's not going to get started. If the timing is off on a play, the quarterback will miss the receiver or the guard will not get that pass to the forward or the center so that they can score in the game of basketball. This is why they practice those plays over and over and over again ad nauseum so they can get the timing down. Have you ever run across an airport trying to catch a connecting flight only to miss your boarding time by a minute or two? If you've done that, you understand the importance of timing. If you've ever been delayed at work, only to discover that you missed out on a very serious accident on the roadway heading home, if you've experienced that, you understand the importance of timing. Timing is everything. And when it comes to the story of Christmas, it's all about time. Galatians 4.4 says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And when it comes to life's author, God, it's all about time. Or like how we like to say, timing is everything. You see, Jesus came at the right moment. Now, the word for time used here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, is the word chronos, which refers to, in the Greek language, the duration of time. And obviously this passage, both in its context and even by the use of this word, is reminding us of everything that has gone before. And especially the things that we talked about last week, these promises that God gave from antiquity, from thousands of years before. Over 4,000 years before was the promise of Genesis 3.15, that the Messiah, the Redeemer, would come to defeat Satan. Then there was the subsequent promise, a few thousand years after that, to Abram, whose covenant name we would come to know as Abraham, that he would be this childless man, would end up becoming this father of a great nation. Well, it says here in Galatians 4.4, when the time was right. In other words, when all things had come to completion, God sent his son. And what's so fascinating in this passage is if God was just referring specifically to just one event, if he was only going to talk about the actual birth of Christ, that moment, the Christmas occasion, there's a different Greek word that would be used. It's the Greek word kairos that describes a time period, a specific, it's time word, but it describes a specific moment, a specific period in time. Now, I have a picture here of Pastor Nathan and Nicole who happened to be on vacation with their daughter Madeline in Kansas. And now they were there to hunt for five days. Now, they've hunted a lot over the years. Uh, they hunt here in Wisconsin, bow hunt together. They enjoy doing that. They gun hunt together. Uh, they did that here this fall a number of times. Uh, and that's kind of what they do. It's one of their hobbies. And over the duration of time, the chronos of time, 
They enjoy doing that. But on one evening last week, and then the next morning, Nicole shot the one buck and Nathan shot the other two consecutive hunts together at one time. Now, that's a Kairos moment. You know, all the other times they've been together, they can't even probably remember some of the hunts or where they went or what they did. They will never forget this. They will remember where they were, what they did, the soybean field that one was sitting on or this field the other was sitting on. They will remember those things forever because it was a special moment, a special moment in time. In 12 days, Cindy and I will celebrate our 38th anniversary. We were married in a Missouri Synod Lutheran Church in Eau Claire, Wisconsin at 7 p.m. in the evening on December 18th, 1982. That was a Kairos moment. That was a special moment in time. I've had so many Saturdays in my life, I can't remember what I've even done with them or Saturday evenings, but I don't forget that one. That's one I will remember for the rest of my life. But this text, when the right time came, Okay, this duration of time is going on and the right time comes for the birth of Jesus. It's described here as saying that it came to a point where it was the right moment. All this time passes and now is the right time. And that's often interpreted by some Bible commentators to say, well, that's because of the things that were going on in the world around them at that time. The Roman Empire was known for its Pax Romana, for the peace and stability that Rome brought to one-fourth of the civilized world. They, they had conquered one-fourth of the world and one-fourth of the world's population, and they had law enforcement, and, and so people could live pretty much peaceful lives. They also had a common language, basically like a business language or a trade language that crossed borders from country to country within the Roman Empire. It was the Koine Greek language. The Greeks had dominated the culture the centuries before the Romans did, but the language was still there. So there was an ability to communicate, a common language. There was also uh, travel uh, that, that occurred during that time frame that was unlike any other period. They had a road network, and the Romans had developed many roads. In fact, the Romans were the ones who created concrete. And so they had paved roadways, and they had all kinds of things that never existed in the world before. Plus, people could jump on ships and sail to different parts of the Roman Empire. So it was a remarkable time for travel. And you could cross borders from country to country, but you were still in the Roman Empire. It used to be before, if you went from like Wisconsin to Minnesota in parts of that part of the world, you're going to a different country. Uh, now it was like, no, no, it's all still part of the Roman Empire. And another thing during that time frame, the gods that existed didn't satisfy. Even pagans in that era of history, it records for us in that period of history that they weren't satisfied with their gods and they were looking for a god who would satisfy. So people like to say, well, it's because of all those things that came together that it was the right time for Jesus to be born. And I wanna say, as important as all of those facts are for the advancement of the gospel, there's more to our text here. And there's more to the context of this book uh, than just that. Certainly that was part of it, but, but that wasn't the, the, the whole story. Our text tells us that this Messiah was born of a woman. Jesus was born of a woman. And last week we discussed this with this, the prophetic fulfillment that that was, that, that Jesus was the seed of the woman, not the normal way to describe that, the seed of the woman, the virgin birth. And it says here also that he was born under the law. 
Now, our context for the book of of Galatians is that there were these people who had legalistic tendencies who started to uh, corrupt the churches in the region of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey now, and it was known as the region of Galatia. And there were churches spread out all over there that had been planted. The Apostle Paul had been involved in planting many of those churches. And these Judaizers, they believed, yeah, okay, you need Jesus. Yep, yep, yeah, you have to accept Jesus but you have to add these other practices of the law in as well. Jesus, yes, but you need the law. And here's what Paul says. Flip your Bible over to chapter one. He begins by addressing this issue right out of the gate in chapter one, verses six through 10. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. For you're saved by faith through grace. It's not of works that anybody can boast. It's not, okay, I got Jesus, yeah, saves, but, but I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. No. Verse eight, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And am I now trying to win the approval of human beings, of, of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Then he goes on to share his testimony here. He goes on to rebeak rebuke Peter because he thinks Peter's trying to please these Judaizers and keep a foot in both camp. And Paul's pretty upset with what's going on there. Then we come to chapter three now, verse 23. He's going to lay down the gauntlet uh, regarding the law and those that want to say we need to keep the law. Verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under the guardian. In other words, the, 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 the guard that stood over us was the law. That was before Jesus. But now that Jesus has come, we no longer need the guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have closed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So this great nation that was to come from Abraham has been enlarged tremendously. It's not only the blood relatives from Israel that could be part of that, but it's the Gentile world as well. We're heirs according to the promise. You know, that's our inheritance as well. Look at verses one and two. What I am saying is this, that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Uh, an infant or a toddler might inherit the whole family estate, but they're no different than any household servant or anybody else that works at the place or anyone else at that moment because they're dependent upon all this help to get through life. But one day, they're gonna get it all. 
The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father, until that appropriate time comes. It's describing here that was the role of the law for us. But the law was the guardian until that set time was over and that set time came for Jesus to be born. Now, I should also mention that the nation of Israel had a lot of history with God telling them that he was going to do certain things at an appointed time. In Psalm 104, God is proclaimed in that particular song as the creator and the sustainer of all the life that's on this planet. And in verse 27, it even says, all creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. There are some foods that are in certain seasons that the creatures and the animals of the world eat. It's all because God has created that and God sustains that. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 15. These are the re-emphasis on the law here to the Israelites before they would go into the promised law. Dudo means second. So this is a second emphasis here on the law. And they are told that what you need to do when you go into the promised land is you have to love God and you need to obey God. And what is God gonna do in response to that? That he would provide rain for you at the proper time on your land. The set times when it's needed, when, it, when it's most valuable, you're gonna get it. You're gonna get it. In Psalm 145, David, speaking about the greatness of God, mentions how from generation to generation, that testimony about the greatness of God and the great works of God get passed along from people to people, generation to generation. And in verse 15, he even says, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. That's just like the Lord's prayer invites, doesn't it? To pray, give us this day our daily bread. God knows exactly what we're going through. He knows exactly what we need. And he will provide. His timing is perfect. Now, what I really want us to grasp today is that God said that the time for Christ's birth had come, that this was the exact moment for this to occur. And as I already mentioned in the original text, the word for, used there is for the duration of time, uh, referencing all these prior things that had to come to pass. And then from this point on in the passage, the specific verbs that are used here are all in the errorist tense, uh, meaning a specific point in time, a specific transaction or occurrence. In Greek grammars, they call this punctiliar. Boom. It's like the period, you know? It's like, okay, this is as if God drove a stake in the ground and God said, now, now's the time for Christ to come. And look at what verse 5 tells us. Here's the reason to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. The context here that we've been reading about forward and backwards references a child, it references slaves, it references heirs. And there was believed to be over 60 million slaves throughout the Roman Empire at this time. And a person could literally, uh, a Roman citizen with means could literally uh, go down to any major metropolitan city on any given day and purchase a slave at just about any time. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm just explaining what was going on back then. This isn't a sermon on slavery and, and, and certainly we would be totally opposed to this, but this is what was happening in the Roman empire. But some would do that so they could have a household servant. Some would do it so they could meet some of their agrarian needs working on their farms or in their orchards or whatever it was. Yet many others 
would simply do this to set slaves free. They would pay the price for their emancipation, felt it was their human obligation to just simply set them free so they could go back uh, to living a life of freedom and liberty that many people in the Roman Empire enjoyed. They would pay the price for their freedom. Well, that's what Jesus did for us. He paid the penalty for our sin, dying on the cross to set us free from sin. And at Christmas, God took the first steps toward removing every obstacle to unrestricted fellowship with him. Think about this. Of all the significant things that have happened over the last 2,000 years, many of them have even been written about, but history has a way of swallowing them all up. Yet the birth of a Jewish baby in a stable in the heart of the Roman Empire in a tiny little village called Bethlehem is celebrated annually. It's celebrated worldwide because God carefully orchestrated it so that we would remember. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, this is the passage where Joseph is sleeping and he's in great turmoil. Sometimes many of us experience the same thing because things aren't going well in life. Well, he finds out that Mary's pregnant and he's not the responsible party. And so he's agonizing over this and he goes to bed and this angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then he says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. In the Old Testament, that's the name Yeshua, God saves. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In Luke chapter two, verses 10 and 11, uh, the text that Pastor Kerry was referring to this morning as we were singing and worshiping together, it's the passage where, again, an angel of the Lord appears, but this time it's to shepherds and tells the shepherds to not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Born for us. That's what it's saying. And, you know, Paul explains what that means in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that, that Jesus was born for us. Because Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now notice there the present tense verb in this verse, while we were still sinners. You know, that it's hard for us to grasp this because God sent Jesus long before any of us were born. In other words, Jesus demonstrated his love for us before we even existed. But Jesus died for Paul while he was still sinning, while he was still resisting God. Now, Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul refers to some of his activities. And of course, this is post-Christ uh, death, resurrection, and ascension. But Paul was anti this Christian movement, which would become the church. He was anti all this stuff before Jesus died on the cross. In fact, he would have been part of the group that would have, would have pushed Jesus and pushed Pilate where Jesus ended up on the cross. But look at verses 13, 14 say, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. That's what I was, previous way. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Paul was, you know, Jesus died for Paul while he was still sinning. But you have to understand, Jesus' sacrifice was just as much for each of us as it was for Paul 
because all of us have resisted God. This is why we, he came to redeem us. He came to set us free from sin, to buy us back from our slavery to sin so that we could truly experience life. God, after all, is the author of life. You know, it's been said in some ways that the cells in our body are actually smarter than we are. You know, in other words, our bodies do things, you know, instinctively, innately, uh, because of our cells. And we don't think about them, or we don't even have to reason about them. You know, we're not even aware many times uh, of some of these functions in our body that are going on. You know, when we sin, we dishonor God. We dishonor the, the author of life. So in that sense, we're actually dishonoring life itself because he is, after all, the creator of life. He's the sustainer of life. He's the giver of the abundant life, and he's the giver of eternal life. And we owe our lives to God, and we owe a debt that we could never pay. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single human being has missed God's perfect, ideal, glorious standard. And 6.23a tells us there, the first half of that verse, that the penalty of sin is death. That's the cost of it. But you have to understand, God demonstrated his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, and after the coming of the Holy Spirit, at Pentecost, the disciples went into the streets of Jerusalem and into the temple courts and to share the good news of the gospel. We know some of what they shared because in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, the apostle John tells us there. He says, the life appeared. We've seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you eternal life which was with the Father and appeared to us. In Acts chapter 3, verse 15, they said to their fellow Israelites, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Now, I must say that you cannot take the life of the author of life unless God uh, allows you to do that. The author of life gave away his life. And this is really important for us to understand today. No one can demonstrate love without sacrifice. Words are cheap. Love always has to be shown to be known. And the only way to show love is to give up something for the one that you love. A person will never really understand how much someone cares for them until they see what they are willing to sacrifice for them. 2,000 years ago, God came into this world to become one of us. Yes, he was God. And at the same time, the incarnate son of God was fully human, fully God, fully human. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And God choreographed in advance every detail of Christ's birth. And then when it occurred, he documented everything so that we would never forget it. He wanted us to know that it was all about us. It was about our sin and his great love for us and his great desire to be in fellowship with us and the rich inheritance that we now have in Christ Jesus. As Galatians says, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the set time by the Father. But when the set time, verse 4 says, had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive 
the adoption to sonship. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Let's pray. God, our Father, again, we thank you for this precious Advent season where we're able to look forward to celebrating that first coming of Jesus Christ and recognize as well, anticipate that there's going to be a return of Jesus, a second coming of Christ. But God, for this era that we now live in, we realize that the set time had come, all the promises had been fulfilled, and God, it was all found in your son, Christ Jesus, that now through faith in him, we can have life eternal based upon unmerited favor, your grace. God, we don't deserve this. We don't earn this. We don't work for it. Nothing we can do can bring this about, God. You, simply by your grace, allow us to have this incredible gift of Christmas, your Son, our Savior, who came to us and for us. God, I pray that each of us listening here today, either here in person or those online, have made that decision of faith, have received the gift of Christmas. I pray, God, that we will then go out and live in that grace that you have called us to live in. And we pray this in Jesus' name.